0: I love this time of the year, not just because it's warm outside, but because of what you see pictured up here on the screen. Fruit. Delicious fruit. It's something that I miss throughout the remainder of the year because you can go to your local grocery store and you can pick up some fruit, and it just doesn't taste the same, does it? It's not as fresh. It's not as juicy. It's not as delicious. Well, this past week, I picked up a box of peaches from the peach truck. And the peach truck was in town, and I think, uh, think Shelly got a box too. And, um, and they're already ripening quite quickly. When we picked it up on Tuesday, they were a little bit firm, but now you can see that it's just right. If you cut into this, oh my goodness, the amount of juice and, and flavor will begin to flow right out of it. You know, there are times when I want this same peach goodness at other times in the year, but it's nowhere to be found because this time of the year produced a Georgia peach that is just perfect. You know, I think it's part of the culture that is down in Georgia that enables them to uh, grow such uh, delicious peaches, and we're talking a little bit. Uh, over the next few weeks about developing a goodness culture not only in our church but how can we contribute to a goodness culture in our neighborhood and at the workplace and so forth when you have the right culture and you have the right tree man it can make some delicious fruit but when it's the bad culture and it's a bad tree as Jesus said it produces bad fruit so we want to expand upon that a little bit and there are certain ingredients that go into developing a goodness culture. Last week, we talked a little bit about dropping the stones that are in our hand. We talked a little bit about the woman that was caught in adultery and how these religious leaders wanted to stone her. Uh, Jesus steps in and mediates, and he says, Those of you who are without sin, you be the one that throws the first stone. They began to drop their stones, and they all disperse, and Jesus looks down at this woman and says, Who is there to condemn you? And she says, No one. And he says, Neither do I. Get up. Go your way. Live a better life. And so what we find is that culture, as well as compassion, can develop goodness in our school, in our workplace. It can develop it within our church as well. Every institution has a culture, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And I don't know whether or not you've experienced a little bit of bad culture in your workplace, because that can lead to bad dynamics and bad relationships. Or perhaps you've experienced it in church, and maybe there's a bad culture that has left a bad taste in your mouth because of what people said or what people did. And I know that younger people have really begun to flee from the church. Uh, Since the pandemic, actually, there's only a rate of about 40% of the people that are starting to come back to church. But prior to that, what we find is that a younger generation really has seen more than, hey, the church is full of hypocrites. We've always known that there are people that fall short of the ideal. But rather, what they have seen is, a dishonesty or duplicity or a level of corruption that is found in the church that produces a lack of trust in the institution that we call the church. So I want to speak just for a moment. If you are one of those individuals that has been hurt by the church, you've been wounded by the church in some capacity, then you need to know that what we're trying to do is build a better culture here where you are accepted, where you are loved, and where you can be uh, uh, held uh, within the grace of God. And so I want you to think about this passage of Scripture. I be, I, I'm beginning with one that I didn't read, but in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and 37, this is Jesus that says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice that phrase there, harassed and helpless. Sometimes church has done that to people. They have harassed people. They have felt helpless in certain situations. But what Jesus then says is the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, in all the years that I've been a pastor and all my years of education, That has always been used as a verse for evangelism, okay? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Notice the context here. It's talking really about people who have been wounded by religious people, right? And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, there's all kinds of people out there who have been wounded by religious institutions or religious leaders, but... We need workers. I mean, we need plenty of workers that I'd like to call wounded healers. People who have also been wounded that go to the aid of other people and help bring about a fruitful harvest that can heal and bring trust. So Jesus says we all have this mission of looking out for people who have been hurt, people that do not trust religion anymore, and we need to build a better relationship with them, not for an end sake of getting them into church or putting them on the membership role or trying to get them to give to our particular cause, but because they have been individuals that have been left behind, like sheep without a shepherd, and we want to say, you are welcome here. We love you. We're glad that you're here, and we are all wounded and we are all wounded healers that are reaching out to each other. And so Jesus tells us this is the mission, that we are to develop a goodness and gracious uh, culture that will help other people find life, maybe that they have dismissed because of their past experience. You know, Jesus says a lot about culture. He says a lot about character. So we just read... Uh, for you a moment ago about a good tree and a bad tree. And the importance of a goodness culture is pretty dynamic. Number one, the culture we live in socializes us into how to behave and sometimes how to think as well. Think about this for a moment. We are all raised in certain cultures and that culture has an effect upon us whether we realize it or not. So if it is a toxic culture, sometimes that creeps into the way we look at life, and it creeps into what we value in life. But if it's a good culture, if it's a gracious culture, if it's a Christ-like culture, it can nurture healing, and it can show redemptive grace and love to other people. So culture is a very important thing because all of us have been socialized or conditioned by a culture of some sort. But it might be a church culture, it might be our family culture, whatever it may be. In other words, no one is unrelated, no one is unnetworked, no one is unembedded, and no one is unenmeshed, and no one is unsystemic. We all have been conditioned by our life and by the context in which we grew and in which we learned. And so Jesus is telling us that we develop a a culture, not a purity culture, no one is perfect, but a gracious culture, a goodness culture that enables us to become better than we currently are. See, there is no unencultured person anywhere in the world. Think about that. All around the world, no matter where you travel, no matter who you meet, no matter what country you might be in, Every person has been encultured in some way by their upbringing and by their values, by their own unique uh, set of beliefs, by their own rites of passage, and so on and so forth. So what we need to remember is that what we are all pursuing is not to make each of us into a copycat. We are all unique, and we all have a unique set of gifts and a unique personality, But what we are trying to do is to bring out the best in each other, and to do that, we need a culture that produces good fruit. You know, this is good fruit right now. You can smell the goodness in it right now. But if I let this sit in the windowsill, and I never ever do anything with it, pretty soon it will become mushy. And if you take a bite into it, It just doesn't taste good anymore. You see, goodness is always looking for a fresh crop. It's not depending upon what we did in the past because what we have already done in the past, it might have been good at the time, it can grow old. It can get soft. It can get mushy. It can get bruised. And so today, let's think about the mission of Jesus for a moment. He meets in a synagogue on the Sabbath one day, this is in Luke chapter 4, and he stands up and he reads a section of Isaiah chapter 61, and he proclaims good news to the poor and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing." Jesus is saying, this is happening now. This is an old fruit that Isaiah had a vision of so many centuries ago. This is current. This is now. This is something that can be done amongst us. But there's always certain things that get in the way of producing a culture of goodness and graciousness. And what often gets in the way is where people desire something that is a bit dark, and that is... It's all about them, and it's all about their power. It's all about their praise. We might call this type of individual a narcissist, and all of us, I think, remember from Greek mythology, narcissus was an individual that fell in love with himself so much that when he looked into the water, he couldn't look away because he saw his own image. And from that comes the word narcissist. These are often the people that kind of bring spoiled fruit into any culture. So think about your workplace. Think about school. Think about church. People that are all about themselves, maybe these are individuals that you look up to because somehow they found a way to climb to the top. Or as they climbed to the top, maybe these are individuals that somehow look confident. They have self worth it, or so it seems. But if you look closely, usually people that are all about themselves are masking some extreme lack of self-confidence and self-esteem. And so that's why they make it all about themselves. And what we find is narcissistic people don't care much about other people, but that was the mission of Jesus. I just told you about Luke chapter four verses 18 and 19 on that day. So narcissism can be a problem, and so how do you control other people if if you're so narcissistic? Well, you usually do it through fear. Usually power and fear are companions, and fear is often used to control other people to achieve selfish ends. That's not goodness. That's not graciousness. That's a rotten piece of fruit. So what do we do to develop a culture that looks like this peach, that smells the goodness of this particular piece of fruit? Well, on this Fourth of July, it's important to understand that many times we talk a lot about freedom. And freedom is a strange thing because... It's one of those things that's a gift, and we do appreciate those individuals that founded our country, that founded it upon the idea of freedom, and we appreciate those who have served served to keep that freedom. Yet at the same time, freedom is not a blanket permission to make it all about me. You see, freedom is a culture thing, and my freedom is not to impinge upon your rights and vice versa. So the Apostle Paul is set in a context in the book of Galatians where there's a group of religious people called the Judaizers. And these Judaizers want to control the Galatian people that uh, began the church after Paul traveled through Galatia on one of his missionary journeys. They came to know Christ, and they began to find freedom. And this freedom was such that They no longer were bound by a meticulous observing of the Old Testament law, but rather Christ and his grace and his goodness and his graciousness had set them free. But this group of religious people that followed behind were people that wanted to once again enslave them to the law, enslave them to the commandments that were given on top of Mount Sinai, And Moses comes down with the tablets in hand. What we find here is the promise that Christ can set us free to develop good fruit. In order for that to happen, though, we have to understand that there is freedom found on grace. It's not founded on works. It's not founded on somehow earning God's favor There is a natural tendency, I think, to take that which is given by grace and to make it into a set of rules and regulations. And when that happens, it's easy then to manipulate that to our own advantage. But the laws that God gave to Moses back in the Old Testament was to be a starting place, not an end goal. It was to be a starting place where they could organize and begin to develop a better culture than a nomadic tribal culture that was in the ancient Near East. You see, laws are often reactionary. And I think that might be what Jesus meant when he said, I, don't, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. There's a higher calling than the law itself. So think about laws that we observe. Think about a speed, uh, uh, speed limit. Uh, sign so it says 35 miles an hour and we might think "Oh, that law is foolish on this particular road we should be able to go a lot faster until something happens until there's a wreck or an accident until someone has lost control of their vehicle that could possibly hurt someone else so laws are not an end in and of themselves even though sometimes we think that's true You know, because we get tickets if we go so many miles per hour over the speed limit. But it's there for a reason. And it might not be clear to us what that reasoning is, but if you drive too fast down the shoreway and you come to Dead Man's Curve, you'll learn very quickly why they tell you it's only this many miles per hour, right? Because you're going to kind of slam into that uh, wall that's there as it makes the turn. So Paul is telling us that laws are good, it's a good starting place, but if it's an end in and of itself, then the culture gets all messed up. You see, laws have more nuance to it, and complexity as well. So when Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, he knows that there's a group of people that want to enslave uh, those that he had brought a culture of grace and goodness to. And what he says is that the law of Moses is only has so much potential to bring goodness and graciousness into a culture. You see, sometimes observing laws in and of themselves and not for the greater good of other people can often turn people hard and legalistic, and so we all know people who get quite rigid when there's a set of rules and someone doesn't keep those rules to the nth degree, to the jot and to the tittle, and so Paul wants to shoot straight with this audience that he's writing to, and he is not talking so much about the law itself in Galatians, but about the moralism of the law, For you see, if you have a set of rules and regulations, it's real easy then to become real pious and self-righteous because I keep these laws better than you do. And so Paul tells us here the freedom that we have been given is the freedom that allows us to become our best selves. And that's why he then gives the fruit of the Spirit. Now we know the fruit of the Spirit more like this out of the New International Version. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a real concise way of describing the fruit of the Spirit. But I like this message translation because it fleshes it out. So let's think about this for a moment. But what happens when we live God's way, live beyond the law, and live in love? Well, this is what happens. He brings certain gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. You see that's fleshed out by a paraphrase a little bit, but isn't that cool? It brings about fruit as if you're walking through an orchard, that you're not walking through some type of legalistic courtroom, right? You're walking through an orchard, and it then develops these type of things. Things like affection for others, love, exuberance about life joy serenity is another word for peace you get the idea right we develop a wic- uh, a willingness to stick with things a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people and we honor that and we respect it we find ourselves in loyal commitments and not needing to force our way in life but we can Marshal and direct our energies wisely. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that we have found our stride with the Holy Spirit. We're not living by laws. We're not living by legalism. We're not living by rules. We're trying to make the world a better place, i.e., a better culture where we can all thrive together. You see, the difference between law and the spirit of God is relationship. The relationship we have with God is what's most important. It's not just keeping these set of commandments, thinking that I'm going to get struck down if I make a mistake by God. No, he loves us. And that love is the opportunity then to grow in heart and mind and spirit and be able to be Uh, more gracious and good toward other people. You see, the law provides kind of a blanket response to situations in life, kind of a yes or no, right or wrong, black or white, but the movement of the Spirit helps us to look into someone else's eyes, helps us to see that individual, who they are, to listen to them, to consider their story, and then to move within the Holy Spirit, offering them life and liberty and love. So a good fruit culture is when we come together to be able to honor one another and to develop this good heart, develop a gracious spirit toward other people. If we truly want to enjoy the freedom that Christ has offered to us, then we engage in the kind of freedom that he provides. And that is going back to last week's passage Jesus looks at this woman caught in adultery and says, neither do I condemn you. Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Neither do I condemn you. And so this freedom to know that forgiveness is available, that freedom is available, and I'm not talking about the kind of flag-waving freedom that we see on the 4th of July. I'm talking about the freedom to become a better you, a better person. Um, not the kind of freedom that thinks that I'm better than someone else, not the kind of freedom that it's my rights over your rights. No, God allowed the law to be written to a newly freed people that had just been delivered out of the land of Egypt so that they had of a starting point to develop a different kind of culture than the one that they saw in Egypt that oppressed people and used people. And so in that starting point we keep moving forward we uh, keep progressing along the way in the progress of progressive revelation we see that the law within certain circles of religious folks in the bible became an end in and of itself rather than just the starting point so the freedom that we have been given in this country is wonderful but it's not an end in and of itself the freedom that we have been given is so that we can become better people toward each other. All kinds of people. People that don't look like us, that don't believe like we do. People that have different types of traditions than we do. But embracing other people and loving other people is what produces good fruit. And the good fruit enables us then to be able to build the type of kindred spirit that we need this nation is divided very divided and i think our call as people who are followers of christ is to continue to develop the fruit of the spirit so that when people see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control in us they go oh, that's a different kind of culture than the one i'm used to that's a different kind of uh, setting than the one that I usually see. So maybe what we can summarize from this Galatian passage is this. We have been set free from the law, but what is our freedom for? It's not for selfish consumption. Rather, it's to help other people come into the family of God, to come into our friendship circles. And what does that freedom look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You see, what the fruit of the Spirit is, is the essence of God that's living among us. Think about those qualities for a moment. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, that describes God, doesn't it? He is the epitome of all that fruit, and then he offers it to us to be able to cultivate it within us. So here's some closing thoughts that I have for you today. What fruit is abundant in your life? Out of the fruit of the Spirit, which comes most naturally to you? Yay, great, we cheer you on. What fruit is in short supply? What fruit do you keep to need to keep working on? Thirdly, what fruit is offered to you by other people? What is it? Is it love or joy or peace or patience or kindness? What is it? And can you be appreciative of it? Can you say thank you? That you are like this fresh peach in my life. And then lastly, what fruit do you have to offer to other people? Hmm. This is goodness. It is something that we can offer to other people. And today I'm offering it to Jay. So when we think about our own lives and our walk with God, are we still holding on to some fruit that is overripe? It was great back then, but we're still holding on to it. Nothing fresh, nothing new has come about. Has your love and service toward other people become kind of mushy and squishy, like overripe fruit? You see, good fruit is fresh fruit, right? And I think if we can learn that as a church, if we can learn that within certain contexts, good fruit is fresh fruit, then we always need to keep working to keep love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control always growing in our life so it's always fresh to offer to someone else. So that's my encouragement to you today. What are you doing good at? Keep at it. What do you need to get a little bit better at? And how can we together become a better culture? No matter what's happening outside in the world around us, how can we be a counterculture that is filled with goodness and graciousness? Would you stand with me, please? So our benediction for this morning is, uh, is very simple. May the grace of God free you from the bondage of the law. May the grace of God free you for life in the Spirit. May the grace of God bear in you joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And may the grace of God convince you in every situation to love others as Christ loves us. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful Fourth of July. May God bless you. We'll see you soon. Have a great day.